0: It's Thursday, December the 23rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, two encouraging Omicron studies and humanitarian aid for Afghanistan. First, the World in Brief. Three new studies suggested that the Omicron variant of COVID-19 may be less severe than its predecessors. One conducted in Scotland found that the current infection numbers would have resulted in three times as many hospitalisations were the virus to behave like Delta. A South African study indicated that Omicron sufferers were 70-80% to 80% less likely to go to hospital than those with other variants. A third, conducted in England, was more sanguine, suggesting that people with Omicron were 15 to 20% less likely to be hospitalized than those with Delta, but 40 to 45% less likely to stay there for a night or more. Even if infections prove mild, Omicron could still do grave damage given how quickly it is spreading. The United Nations Security Council unanimously supported a resolution proposed by America to allow humanitarian aid to reach Afghanistan. Foreign aid was frozen when the Taliban took over in August, leading to the near collapse of the country's economy and healthcare system. America's Treasury Department said it would issue licences allowing its own officials and international organisations to disperse assistance despite sanctions. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said the country wished to avoid the, quote, path of confrontation, a day after its president, Vladimir Putin, warned of a, quote, military technical response, if threatened by NATO over Ukraine. Russian troops have been amassing at the border for weeks. Mr Putin claims that America has deployed weapons in Poland and Romania in response. The two countries will begin talks to defuse the tension next year. Rescue efforts are underway after a landslide at a jade mine in Pakant in northern Myanmar. So far one person has been reported dead and 70 are missing. Some 90% of the world's jade comes from Myanmar and a ban on mining in the area has done little to slow the practice. Accidents are frequent. In 2020, more than 160 died in a similar incident. Libya's parliament postponed a presidential election scheduled for Friday. The vote was supposed to unite the country after a decade of chaos and war since the toppling of Muammar Gaddafi after 42 years of dictatorship in 2011. Meanwhile, Libya's Electoral Commission stated that the mandate of the current interim government, established in February with UN backing, would expire on Friday. Britain's Office for National Statistics revised its initial GDP estimate for the quarter ending in September down by 0.2 percentage points to 1.1% compared with the previous quarter. The ONS reckons GDP is 1.5% lower than at the end of 2019, as the country's economic recovery from the pandemic lags behind that of America, the Eurozone and China. And fact of the day, 10%. The proportion of tobacco consumed in New Zealand in 2019 that was smuggled in. And now, here's today's agenda. The year in review. The other environmental emergency. This week we are looking back on 2021. Today, science and technology. In November, COP26, the United Nations Climate Summit in Glasgow, focused the world's attention on climate change. Yet the biodiversity crisis poses as greater risk to human societies. Humanity depends on healthy and diverse ecosystems. They provide people's fish, food crops, meat, timber and a multitude of raw materials such as cotton and silk. Medicines are harvested directly from the natural world and inspired by it. Through photosynthesis, Plants remove roughly 11 billion tonnes of the carbon dioxide pumped into the atmosphere by humans each year. But plant and animal species are declining rapidly. Some 1 million were deemed at risk of extinction in 2019. Thousands have already been lost. Technology can help. Improvements in sensors... DNA sequencing and computer models are helping humans understand and monitor ecosystems. It may even soon be possible to revive extinct species from preserved tissue. But such advances need to be coupled with action by policymakers to truly make a difference. The Year in Review. Chips down, still. Even before the pandemic, the business of chip-making was fraught. America was doing all it could to cut Chinese companies' access to the tools needed to produce semiconductors. Then COVID-19 complicated matters further. Much of the world working from home and buying lots of electronic goods to do so triggered a chip supply crunch. The shortage of semiconductors hit the car industry particularly hard, denting worldwide production. Chip makers and governments are scrambling to expand supply, a challenge that will stretch well into next year. In the summer of 2021, America earmarked 52 billion US dollars to boost domestic chip production. Now, it must decide how to spend it. Europe will probably consider a stimulus of its own. The industry is already changing quickly, reconfiguring itself around the greater costs of continually shrinking circuits, new technologies to combine and connect already made chips, and new open source licenses for blueprints. The year in review, a malaria vaccine at last. The development of vaccines against COVID-19 in November 2020 was, rightly, met with great celebration. In October this year, medical science made another formidable breakthrough when a vaccine against malaria was approved by the World Health Organization. That was the culmination of decades of work. Dozens of promising candidates have been tested and failed. The jab, called RTSS and made by GlaxoSmithKline, was recommended by the WHO for use in childhood vaccination in places with transmission of Plasmodium falciparum, the deadliest of the five parasites that cause malaria and the most common in Africa. Results from Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi found that RTSS reduced by 30% the number of malaria cases requiring hospitalisation. That may not sound like much, but each year malaria kills more than 260,000 African children before their fifth birthdays. Those who survive often suffer lifelong harm. That means the impact of RTSS will be huge. The year in review, too hot to handle. Average daily highs in June for Lytton in British Columbia are around 16.4 degrees Celsius, 61.5 degrees Fahrenheit. But on June 29th, the village recorded a high of 49.6 degrees Celsius, 4.6 degrees Celsius hotter than any temperature ever recorded in Canada before that week. Days later, wildfires burned Lytton to the ground. The extraordinary heat wave was caused by a phenomenon known as a heat dome, in which an area of high pressure in the atmosphere stops the air beneath it escaping. It was highly unusual in both intensity and duration and was one of a run of extreme weather events that seem linked to climate change. High temperatures are dangerous for all living things. The heat dome over the Pacific Northwest caused the deaths of hundreds of people and did as yet untold damage to animal and plant life. Heat waves in Australia in 2010 and 2011 caused widespread loss of trees. As temperatures rise further, such consequences will only get worse. Winter Quiz, week two. The battle with our baristas continues. As in week one, we'll serve you a new question each day. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Thursday. What was the name of the president of the Reichsbank during the German hyperinflationary episode of 1923? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Norman Maclean, who was born on this day in 1902. To write anything well, whether it be intellectual or imaginative, is to assume at least two obligations. To be intelligible and to be interesting. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays.